Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Cavanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone it is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you once again for another athlete interview we are returning to shooting today and we are speaking with tokyo olympian laura coles competes in skeet shooting and we're going to learn a little bit more about skeet shooting today why is it different to trap shooting is there a difference what's the difference how do we know the difference we're going to learn that from laura here as well and outside of that we get a really really fascinating and personal story about laura's journey to even get to the tokyo olympics she narrowly missed out on london narrowly missed out on rio thought she was going to miss out on tokyo just uh, an incredible journey of perseverance here to even make the team for tokyo 2020 she's a commonwealth games gold medalist as well so quite successful in her sport and it's very intriguing to hear just why she wasn't on that 2016 rio team but a lot of fun is to be had here in this interview you're going to learn a lot it's personal it's honest it's everything you want from an interview and a little bit funny too that's all i'll say here is our chat with tokyo olympic shooter laura cole Always excited to be able to talk about the sport of shooting here on Off the Podium and very excited to chat to today's guest, Tokyo Olympian, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, multiple Oceanic Champions gold medalist, and somebody who I am so excited to learn a little bit more about her journey in the sport and uh, how she ended up in it because it's, it's a bit interesting, I find. Uh, Laura Coles is with us today. Laura, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks very much, Ben. I always like finding out transitions with athletes so that they maybe start in one sport, end up in another. And often when it comes to some sports, you can see the correlation. Others, I kind of don't see how you get from point A to point B. I believe you started in equestrian, Laura. Yeah, so I... uh, unless you were trying out for the modern pentathlon, how, how, how on earth do you go from being an equestrian athlete to a, an Olympic shooter? Um, I always wanted to ride horses ever since I was a little kid. And luckily, like I grew up down in, in Bustleton, which was in the southwest of Western Australia. So I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to actually ride horses. Um, and I did that quite, quite well. But um, back a long time ago in 2005, around the kind of gun buyback time where all the rules kind of changed that was brought in by John Howard's government. Um, my grandfather didn't want to put a gun cabinet in and he had a shotgun in his collection of guns that he kind of needed to get rid of because of not wanting to put that cabinet in. Um, and my dad had always been into shooting, so he already had a gun cabinet. So um, it just kind of was by chance that wow. uh, we, we were given this shotgun. 
Um, and I kind of say thanks to John Howard for changing those rules. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been in the sport of shooting because it it would have never crossed my mind to try it. Yeah, that's, I mean, crazy to think that we can have someone on here going, thanks, John Howard, I wouldn't be an Olympian if it wasn't for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he might have given some funding in the lead up to Sydney to kind of help certain athletes, but uh, not on that level. So, yeah. um, wow, you want to track down John Howard maybe now and just say like, hey, Johnny, thanks, thanks for my Olympic yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's unique, which I believe that came pretty late then. So if that was 2005, so you would have been what about? 18 or so at the time? Like, is, is, is that um, I right? Was, I started shooting back in, actually, it must have been earlier than that. It was 2000, well, I was 15. Right. So I was 15, which for shooting, that's actually a pretty common age for people to take it up. Um, here in Western Australia, you can actually start a lot younger. You can start Anytime that your parents say that you are ready, you're you're strong enough, you're emotionally and mentally mature enough. Um, but in like Victoria and um, New South Wales, the limit is 12 years. So it really meant that I wasn't really starting much later than most other juniors anyway. Which then when you pick up that gun and you have that shot, no pun intended. Well, pun intended. Bugger it. That was a good one. Um, do, do you like take to it straight away? Like, is this something that all of a sudden you're like, wow, I love this experience. I want to do this. Is it kind of, you just kept practicing and all of a sudden you realize you were, you were good at it. I mean, how do you then move into competitive shooting? Yeah. Um, when I first started it, I was awful. I I've seen lots and lots of people start shooting now over the years and I'm probably the worst I've ever seen <laughs> I was, there was not a natural bone in my body um, but I really enjoyed it it was a challenge and the people around the sport were actually really welcoming um, so I, I enjoyed it um, and I kept going and the the kind of discipline of clay target shooting that I started in wasn't really what I was naturally good at. I I shot that particular discipline, which was trap, for a few months um, until I discovered skeet, which isn't shot as much around Australia. Um, and when I started skeet, I, I actually kind of took to that far more naturally. So I kind of I found my my thing. Um, and then like just one thing led to another and, you know, I, I made a state team and then I, you know, won a national title and then I changed from um, the domestic version of skate to the international version of skate. That was like starting all over again. Wow. So, yeah, it's been a journey. I've, I've got to ask the question, uh, and I'm sure you get this a lot, how how do you differentiate between skeet and trap? Because a lot of Australians think about shooting in the Olympics. We're thinking trap, double trap, Russell Mark, Michael Diamond, you, you know, Catherine Skinner, people like this. Like, I mean, what is what is the difference between skeet and trap? So trap is definitely where we've had most of our Olympic success here in Australia. Um, trap is where pretty much all the targets are going up and away from the shooter. The shooter doesn't know what angle they're coming out at, though. They, they could come, especially in an Olympic trap, they could come out high, low, and left and right or straight. So they're kind of just looking above kind of a point where they know that those targets are coming out of. 
and reacting because they don't know what they're going to get. Um, double trap is now not included in the Olympic program, um, but double trap was where Russell Mark won his Olympic gold. That's where you've got two targets. Again, they're both going up and away, um, being released from in front of the shooter. Um, but in that discipline, for most of the years that it was shot, they knew which targets they were going to get. They knew the trajectory. Um, they had to actually add in a um, small delay on wow. that because because the shooter knew where it was coming from and um, originally when they first called pull, the target would be released straight away. Um, some of the shooters actually just started to call pull and pull the trigger just in front of the trap. So they actually, they had to add a little delay into that to stop that from happening. Um, but unfortunately that particular discipline has been taken out of the Olympics. So that's a shame for shooting. Um, but the, the discipline that I shoot, skate, you shoot it around a semicircle um, and they, the targets emerge from two separate houses. There's a high house and a low house. You start your round of 25 targets around at station number one, which is directly underneath the high house. And you make your way around to pad number seven, which is directly beside the window of the low house um, and you finish off your round in, on pad eight, which is kind of in the middle of the ground. Um, so we're pretty much shooting crossing targets, which is what I find easier to read. And you always know the same sequence. So you know where that target's coming out of, you know where it's going to, and always those, those targets are set. So they're set at the same angle. Doesn't matter where you go in the world. Um, the only thing that, that can change it a little bit is the wind. Right. And is that, does it come down to when you realise what you're more suited to, that it's that that you're saying you know where they're coming from, so you know where to go for versus the the randomness that like maybe some people are more suited to kind of that the quick reaction of there it is, there it is, versus a, I already yeah. know where it's going to be. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think um, definitely the fact that, People who shoot trap have to react and have to make a kind of an on-the-spot decision as to where to shoot in order to intercept that target. Um, it's very quick. And I think, to be honest, I don't really read targets that are going up and away from me all that well. I read a target that's kind of crossing flat so I can kind of think of it in a little bit more of a two-dimensional aspect, if that's makes sense whereas you have to think really three-dimensionally about a target that's going away from you see i'm a planner see i'd be into skeet I, I can't do the randomness i can't just react to something that's i don't know what's going to happen i'm 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 not i'm skeet all the way like i know i need to know where it's going <laughs> yeah me too i like that about skeet as well <laughs> which just back to your equestrian days was it a a goal, like were the Olympics sort of a, a goal? Were you growing up watching, you know, Andrew Hoy, Matt Ryan, all these sort of people like, uh, you know, all the success they had sort of in in the 90s up until up until Sydney? I mean, was that an ultimate Olympic goal? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I loved watching the equestrian at the Olympics. I think I watched every single games from when I was about five years old. Um, so yeah, I did, I did watch those guys and I do remember watching Andrew Hoy win 
win his medal in Sydney. I also watched um, Michael Diamond, though, win his yes. medal in Sydney, even though I had absolutely no interest in that sport. But I thought, you know, I watched him win that and I thought that was pretty amazing. It was a, it was a really emotional medal. So your dad had just passed away from memory, yeah, wasn't it? And it had, yeah. and you know, to win, you know, that was his second gold back to back. So to win two back to backs, like that's an amazing achievement to have all that pressure on you, an expectation from the last games, and to still be able to, you know, perform under that extreme pressure, especially after just losing his dad. Like that was that was an amazing medal. It was a real golden period, wasn't it? I mean, Atlanta, yeah, Michael Dunn, Russell Mark won it, and I think Russell got silver in Sydney from memory. And then in yeah. Athens, we had Susan Ballow win gold. Uh, and yeah. I pretty from memory, didn't Michael Diamond like nearly get a bronze in Beijing? Like he made the shootout, I think, from memory. Um, I know he nearly won a third medal, but I think he got fourth. He very nearly won a medal in London. Was it London? So London, he actually shot a world record of 125 right. out of 125 in the qualification, but wow. unfortunately just didn't quite hold it together in the final, but he came really close. Yeah, yeah I think I just, he had to shoot off for that bronze. Yeah, because I remember, I just remember there was definitely another one where it was kind of yeah. like, wow, he's still going. Like what, what yeah. an amazing kind of athlete. And that, and that was the beauty. We've talked a lot to some of our Sydney athletes about the beauty of Sydney was, I think for those who were kind of so invested in it, we remember all those gold medalists. You know, I, I could remember all of those 16 gold medalists probably more so than the 17 gold medalists in Tokyo. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it was just so there. And I mean, yeah, it's shooting. We were winning gold in archery for God's sakes. Like it's kind of, you know, things like that that were were amazing. Just I want to quickly ask about a question because at the time of this we've not had a question out there and I realize we're here to talk to you about shooting but Laura can you explain to us dressage like what the hell is that? Like <laughs> like what is dressage and why is it a thing? Please try okay. and tell us. <laughs> dressage it's it's kind of like dancing with a horse. Okay. So you, the the rider has to go in there. They have like a pre-planned out um, set of moves that that horse has to execute. And you get judged on how well you and the horse work together to execute them. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I remember I I participated in dressage, and I I was probably more nervous doing a dressage routine. I remember my very first dressage routine. I went into the, the arena, and my mouth was dry. It was like sandpaper. I've never experienced that kind of level of nervousness anywhere else but wow that may have been because i was young <laughs> <You know. laughs> but it's harder than it looks in that's what you're basically saying right it like- is yeah absolutely you're making these tiny little moves with your feet and changing where your weight goes on the saddle and making tiny little moves through the reins on the horse's mouth to send these messages to get these ho- this this horse to make these kind of moves. So it looks like the rider sits there and does nothing, but there's a whole pile of like communication happening really subtly. Well, I, I like it when we can get to these sports which we've maybe had a bit of fun of over the years, and we can kind of actually hear the uh, the subtleties of it. I mean, for you though, just quickly on the Tokyo experience, your teammates with Andrew Frickin Hoy at that point, the guy's sixty two <laughs> winning medals. I know different sports, but I mean, how do you think they're growing up watching him win gold medals in the nineties and the two thousands? And here is what is his eighth Olympics, winning two more medals. I mean, the guy's a, a, an insane machine. Amazing, amazing. I think. 
I would have loved to have crossed paths with Andrew Hoy. He would have been probably the one I would be most excited to run into at the Games. Yeah, for sure. But was was he questioned in the same area or were they kind of out somewhere? Like was he at the village, do you know? Or Hey, I believe that they were based at the village uh, like we were. We we were also quite away from Tokyo, so we our uh, shooting range was about an hour's drive. So right. every day I was getting up at like 5 a.m. to go, go wow. have breakfast, get on the bus and make sure I was out at training in time so I didn't miss any of my rounds. You mentioned before about transitioning from the domestic version of Skeet to the international ones. What what are the key differences there, and why is there why is there a difference? Why are we shooting differently to how say maybe you do at the Olympics? Um, so, in the domestic form of Skeet, uh, the targets are only travelling about fifty five meters. To do that, they're launched off of the the arm of the machine at about 55 k's an hour like right. it's, it's not not incredibly fast um in in a, in international skate those targets are having to make um 68 meters plus or minus one meter so 67 to 69 to do that those targets are leaving that machine at a little bit over 90 k's an hour wow so it, they are considerably faster um, and also in the domestic form of skeet, as soon as you call pull, that target's going to emerge straight away. Um, in international skeet, that may come out straight away, but it may come out up to three seconds later. So you don't know when that target's going three to appear. Three seconds, so, wow. Three seconds. And three seconds when you're nervous. Yeah can seem like an eternity yeah um and also the the main uh, there's two more main uh differences the other one is your gun position so in american skate you get to start with your gun on your shoulder but in um international skate your gun must start it's pretty much it's a point we have a line on our jacket that we must start our gun at. And that's pretty much just a little bit below your elbow. So it's it's quite a way down. Um, so you can't lift your gun until you see that target emerge. Wow. That sounds so challenging. Like it just it's not just like a simple like you're playing, you know, like I know in ice hockey, like the NHL rink's just maybe a little bit smaller than the international one that you're just playing on a bit of a rink. This is like sounds like almost a completely different sport. It nearly is. It, that's what makes it so hard to transition. And probably that that mount for me was the hardest thing to learn how to do because you have to do it quickly and accurately. And generally those two things don't really go together very well. Quick, the faster you try to do something, the less accurate it'll become. Um, so that's something you really have to work on to get to a point where it is actually reasonably fast but still accurate. Um, the other thing is the sequence. So in American skate or domestic skate, you only need to shoot pairs of targets. So two targets released simultaneously from the high and low on pad one, two, six, and seven. Whereas in international skate, you need to shoot pairs on every target, uh, every station, sorry, from one through to seven. 
with the exception of eight. Eight is the only station in international skate where you don't shoot a pair of targets. You only shoot singles there. And do then are there areas in Australia where you can do the international side of things or do you have to sort of travel overseas in order to kind of, you know, improve your international side of things rather than the domestic one? The good thing about uh, international ski is most domestic layouts can sort of be tweaked up to to throw a international style target it it's not that hugely different it's unlike trench where trench is so far removed from a domestic trap layout where you know domestic trap it's just a single box with a single trap on top of the ground whereas uh, international trap or trench is below ground so there's a whole pile of earthworks involved in putting in one of those ranges and there's 15 machines under the ground so to put in one of those layouts is incredibly expensive Um, so there's actually not that many especially in western australia i think we only have we had for many many years only two grounds in the state Uh, now we've got a third Um, kalgoorlie's recently put a, a range in um, but there's there's not all that many international trap ranges, which means a lot of the athletes actually have to tr- travel several hours to go and train. Um, but international ski is a little bit easier to find access to ranges that are capable of of throwing a target that's at least near to uh, international standard. I always love learning more about kind of the the subtleties of, of different sports because on paper it's like, oh, you've got a gun, you shoot things. It's not that hard to kind of find somewhere to do it. But no, it's like there's kind of there's all these extra elements. And and I, I sort of was reading that and you kind of maybe alluded to it before that the shooting scene in WA is not what it is, say, on, on, on the eastern states. I mean, how how is the sport of shooting in WA compared to, you know, more so like in the, in the New South Wales, the Victorias, the Queenslands and places like that? Definitely, I think the the home of clay target shooting in Australia is Victoria. They're probably our strongest state, followed probably by New South Wales and Queensland. Um, whereas we're we're definitely a little bit behind in terms of numbers shooting um, and quality of shooting as well. So. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a little bit behind. We try to keep up, but it's, you know, it's kind of hard in Western Australia because, you know, a lot of the really high quality coaching and the high quality competition is held over on the eastern side of Australia. So it's a long way for people to go and get that kind of coaching. So I think that's part of what holds us back. In terms of the the gun now, am I, am I saying gun rifle what's the the correct term here laura i don't want to offend is it, is it a rifle is it <laughs> no you were actually correct the first time gun is correct gun so, is correct okay yes a gun is refers to something with a smooth bore right and that, that's what a shotgun is so we're just shooting out little pieces of shot it is a shotgun so in our cartridges in olympic discipline we are restricted to 24 grams of lead shot um, and in most domestic um, disciplines they shoot about 28 grams of lead shot 
Right. Um, whereas a rifle, the reason why it's called a rifle is because it has like rifling down the barrel, which is kind of like um, a spiral that helps to spin the projectile to stabilise its, its um, movement through the air. So, wow. yeah. No clue. I never knew that was a thing. Look at that. Look at me learning on this show today. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I know in the past I've like, you know, on certain, hey, is it a boat or a ship? Like, oh, don't say boat, don't say ship. <laughs> I believe, though, with with your gun that you have to have it custom made. Is is this correct? Like you need to have a special one made for you? because And is this down to your, your size? I mean, am I in the right ballpark here? Pretty much everybody who's shooting on the international circuit at least has a custom stock made, which is kind right. of the back part of the gun. It needs to fit you perfectly. Um, if it doesn't fit you, the thing is, especially with our mount where it's coming up really quickly, you don't have time to make fine adjustments. You need that, that gun to come up and you need to be looking straight down that barrel every time. Um, if your gun doesn't fit you properly, so many things will go wrong. Um, <laughs> you won't be, you probably won't be looking down the, the barrel, which means you, you're not going to be shooting where you, you think you're pointing it. Um, it's going to recoil wrong. So if the gun doesn't fit your shoulder properly and you pull the trigger and it's not completely seated on your shoulder, that recoil is going to make the gun either kick up or kick down, which is going to actually change your shot placement. Um, so it'll make you less accurate. So those that want to get those like extra few targets out, which, you know, when you're getting going to the Olympics, one target is the difference between you making the final or you're not making the final or you winning a gold medal or, um, you know, whatever those things are. So to really get the most out of your, your shooting, you do need a custom stock at least. Um, for me, because I'm so small, I'm only five foot two and like about 55 kilos. I'm not all that big. So I'm not really your average size bloke, which is what most guns are made for when they come out of the factory. Um, so for me to be able to shoot something well, I need something that, you know, is kind of relative to my size and weighted in that way as well. Do you then have like the same gun? Like, is it your lucky gun that you've had for a long time? Is it kind of different events bring a bring a different gun? And how does that kind of work? Okay, so every time I change guns, which isn't very often, uh, across my my international career, I've had three guns. Wow! Uh, every time I change guns, it takes me about six months to learn how to shoot it properly. Wow! <laughs> so. The, the prospect of like the airlines losing your gun or the gun not turning up at the competition is a kind of scary one because yeah. you, you need that gun. And, you know, it's such a big thing if it, if it gets lost, which that has happened um, to some really unfortunate shooters because, um, yeah, it's it's so individual to you. Which, I mean, how do you lose a gun of all the, I mean, I can imagine the process you've got to go through to go through airport security and everything with a gun is already high enough. I mean, I think that's one thing that they're not going to lose because I'm sure they're pretty much aware that on this flight we have a gun somewhere. Yeah, um, I don't know how they, I've I've had my gun temporarily lost a couple <laughs> of times 
Temporarily um, lost. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Oh, well, I thought it was lost. There it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I have heard of one horror story where um, one airline locked it in a, a compartment and they forgot that they put it in the <laughs> compartment and they didn't find it again for like a year later when someone's like accidentally gone looking in this compartment. And they're like, oh, what's this? A gun. <laughs> Gun, yeah, someone's really missing that gun. I think I think behind a bomb, the the second worst thing you want to find on a plane is a gun. Um, yeah. So wow, that's that's incredible. Do you do you give your gun the name? Like, is it kind of you're talking to her? Like, you know, come on, Jenny, let let's do this or something along those lines. <laughs> Not really. Um, some people do name their guns. Um, Beef. The gun I had before this, my current gun, I did give it a name. My my, my current gun actually doesn't have a name, but I, I'm oh. pretty sure, like, my my previous gun, which was my, my MX-8, her name was Pyra. I'm pretty sure she was a girl, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure this current gun is a boy. Like, it doesn't have a name, but I'm pretty sure it's male. bit more difficult, just uh, yeah, pain in the butt. Yeah, I, I don't know what to call it. Yeah, okay. you call it Ben. I mean, you know, I'm always open to things right, I'll, I'll after see me. if it likes the name. Yeah, and, and, and use it towards Paris and then that way again, I, like I'm trying to get the bobsled girls to name their bobsled after me so that I can cross the line in an Olympics. I'm like, hey, wicked, I'm an Olympian. So you can use the gun in Paris and, you know, give me an Olympic experience somewhere. Or I'm trying to channel it through through our guests. You you make the Commonwealth Games team, 2014. Go on, go on to win the gold. In, in Glasgow. Uh, and I believe at that point you hadn't really sort of uh, been on the Australian team for that long. I mean, what, what was it kind of like going to a Commonwealth Games and then walking away as a, as a gold medalist? I mean, that, that must be a pretty incredible experience. Yeah, um, it was. Like I, I, there was actually quite a lot of disappointment that led up to that kind of Commonwealth Games team. You know, I, I tried to make the 2012 Olympic team and I really I narrowly missed out on that and I was absolutely devastated and I kind of questioned whether I wanted to keep shooting um but I really missed training because I actually do enjoy training um and I was kind of scared to go back into a um a selection process for a games because they're a little bit they're hugely pressurized um and Obviously, I decided I'd give it another go, um, and I had a, a really great um, kind of selection period, kind of like a bit of a dream run, really. Um, and then once I made that team, I was kind of like a dog that's chased a rabbit and actually got the rabbit and kind of surprised that they actually got the rabbit and doesn't know what to do with it after. <laughs> And I was absolutely terrified in the preparation for the 2014 Commonwealth Games because, oh, my goodness, people are going to actually watch me shoot. And, you know, I just felt like Australia was going to be watching and which that's not really the case, but it's what it felt like. Um, so I was absolutely terrified in the lead up to those games. Um but I, I was I was told by a psychic that I would win the the medal. At, wow! In, 
Glasgow. <laughs> but Jeez, I had good to. Good psychic. <laughs> she turned out to be right. But she she told me I had to every morning and every night get up. And before I did anything else, I would get up and say, I am the 2014 Commonwealth Games gold medalist. So I did that every day for about three months in the lead up to these games. And I remember getting up the the morning of competition. The day before I'd shot terribly. Like I shot, I think I shot about a 60, like low 60s and I think it was like 62 or something like that in training, which was bad, bad. Like if I shot like that on competition day, I wasn't even going to make the final. So I remember sitting on my bed that morning saying to myself, I'm the 2014 Commonwealth Games gold medalist, but kind of not really believing it um, in a way. Like, And I got out there the very first shot, I missed the target. I thought, oh, my goodness. Like I, some days are good days and some days are really bad days. And it's almost like the hard you try, the worse it gets. So I thought, oh God, I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have a bad day on what seemed to be like the most important day of my shooting career. And I just thought, oh, well, like it is what it is. I'm just gonna enjoy it. So after that first miss, I actually didn't miss that many more targets, not because I wasn't trying. I was just there, was enjoying the experience and kind of everything else kind of fell into place. Um, And I obviously made the final. And then I just thought at the final, I've made the final. That's, that's what shooting Australia wanted me to do. Um, That that's the goal that they'd put in place for me. Um, And I told them that I wanted to win a medal at the the games and they they said, we don't think you can, we don't think you're ready. Um, wow. Great, yeah. great inspirational speech there. <laughs> Shooting Australia. Yeah, nah, we don't think you're I don't think you're ready. Just you try um, your best, Laura. You you can you can do it. <laughs> Go get them, champ. <laughs> but like kind of looking back now, probably thinking that you're gonna win a medal at your first games is a little bit ambitious. Um, so after I won, well, after I got into the final, like it didn't matter what else happened because I'd already, you know, made shooting Australia happy because I'd made the final. So everything else was a bonus and I just kind of enjoyed it and kind of rode the wave. Wow. First of all, I think you like, do you remember the psychic you went to? Give them a plug. They're obviously (laughs) a pretty good psychic for starters. I, I actually don't remember who they were I went I it was it was a psychic dinner that one of my friends had organized to go to so it's kind of this random occurrence um, so, but hey again but, good for them um, yeah. kind of I like that but just in terms of the the competition format because as you mentioned you make a final so at those Commonwealth Games it's what you have a, a semi-final the top two go to the gold and then the bottom two yeah. uh, the bottom two and the top four go to the bronze uh, is that standard is that like uniquely commonwealth games because it's kind of one of these things that i always like talking to people who make a final at the olympics where you've got all like a commonwealth games you've yeah. got in the back of your mind i've got a medal either way so it kind of i like that aspect of shooting kind of does that sort of a gold medal match and a bronze medal match yeah um it keeps changing so 
the International Shooting Sports Federation keeps changing things because they want to make it appealing for people viewing it because it's, you know, it's a really alternative sport and, you know, we want to keep, they want to keep people interested because if people aren't interested in it in the Olympics, then there's a chance it'll be taken out of the Olympic program. So it used to be that you would shoot your qualifying and then you'd shoot a further round of 25 targets in the final if you made the top six. And that would be added to your existing qualification score. And they thought that that was actually quite confusing for, to viewers. So they then changed to the semi-final and final system. Um, so your, sem your semi-final, which was your top six, would go and shoot 16 targets and you were given no advantage at all from your qualification. And then the top two scorers from those 16 targets went to go on and shoot the, the gold medal match and the third and fourth place um, shot for the bronze medal. And then it was a further 16 targets. But in the sport of clay target shooting where, you know, Normally, you know, your qualifying is, well, used to be 75 targets for women. Now we've, we've gone up and we've joined the, the men. We're now shooting 125 targets. To shoot over 16 targets and have medals awarded over 16 targets is intense pressure. Mm. And you can imagine, you know, one target in 16 is such, such a, you know, it's an important shot. So it, it really kind of... Um, it used to really mean that um, we'd get a lot of sixth place people that would come into those semifinals would go in and often win because they had nothing to lose. Whereas those that kind of come in had shot a really great qualification, had a whole pile of pressure existing on them already and then add the pressure that there's only over 16 targets and often you know you'd have people really fail um not always not always i i i was lucky you know i handled the pressure at commonwealth games in that i was top qualifier in um the first 75 targets and i managed to to keep that going um but because you know that they were getting kind of such crazy results uh they changed uh, after the 2016 Olympics to shooting kind of a, a 60 target final where you kind of would slowly lose people out of it. So you'd shoot 20 targets now before you lose anybody in a final, which means that the finals run a little bit longer, um, but it, it's kind of meant that you get a little bit more of a consistent result. It's always interesting the way they change formats and that because yeah. one thing that we talked a lot during Tokyo is we always forget how exciting shooting can be. And it's kind of, it's it's obviously a sport in which in Australia we only ever really do see it at an Olympics or a Commonwealth Games. But, I mean, I sort of was watching it and just I at every, every Olympics I just go, oh, this sport's like tense, it's exciting. Like you're, you're sitting there and you're just like, holy crap, like if, if she misses this target, she is eliminating. Like, oh, she's hit it all. Like, you know, it's just kind of, it's it, it's just yeah. really, there's something about it that I feel is exciting. But uh, I, I, I'm sad to learn that they kind of have to keep changing it on that often prospect that maybe it could get taken. Because I think of sports at the Olympics, to me, shooting is just one of these staples that should be at an Olympics no matter what. 
Yeah, well, it has. It's been at every single Olympics ever since the modern Olympics started. So it is. Yeah. It's one of the very. I think it's one of the six original sports. Wow. Yeah. Which is it's, it's kind of like, yeah, like traditional element, and that, that, that's a big thing. I remember when they took wrestling off the the cards. Yeah. I think like 2012, yeah. 2016, and the uproar about that. And I would like to think that if they ever did threaten that with shooting, it would kind of be the same too. Because I don't know, yeah. there's just something about shooting that it's kind of exciting and i i mean we, we're we're an advocate on this show to kind of when it comes to appealing to the kids maybe adding some music we did that with sailing we added some parts of the caribbean boom sailing was exciting like james bond theme just every time you sort of you know make a shot you know they actually have added music in right so now we do um so that was one of the changes that came in with that 60 target kind of final so after after Rio, um, we have been um, having music at our farm. Wow. What, what sort of what, – what is – is it, is it like James Bond theme, Mission Impossible music, or are you just kind of getting like – have you got a beach volleyball-style DJ kind of going like pumping up the ground? Come on, yeah, let's, let's hear it. There's, there is an official ISSF playlist. Oh, an official <laughs> playlist. This is interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's an official ISSF playlist. Um, it it – Includes, you know, a wide variety of genres of music, <laughs> um, and you really know, never know what you're going to get. You know, you, you get anything from like Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun, to like Michael Jackson, through to like some <laughs> electric electronic synth kind of music. It's wow. it's all over the place. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to think. What are some? You know, you could have. Um, Nancy Sinatra, bang, bang, my baby shot. I'm just trying to go the, the cliche, you know. Um, uh, what was that? See a sheriff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm bulletproof, yeah. nothing to lose, virus, yeah. some titanium. Titanium, yeah. yeah. Jeez, yep. you know, all the cliches kind of work yeah. that way. But does it help? Like does it help you as a competitor? Does it pump you up more, alleviate the nerves a little bit, having this official playlist going on in the background? As as a shooter, and particularly as a skeet shooter, we actually find that a little bit trickier because, you know, we, you've got that three seconds where usually we've got three seconds of silence where we're waiting for that target to come out. And the only noise you will hear is the trap releasing the target. So some shooters can fall into the trap of listening for the trap to know when that target's coming. So if you put no music over the top of that, obviously that makes it really hard if you're one of those people relying on hearing that trap to know that the target's coming. So yeah, it does it it adds an extra element. It's not like a real clap your hands, get the crowd involved sport, is it? Like it's not generally you know, no. I jump yeah. or something like that. It's <laughs> like, like, oh, like, yeah, I'm gonna make the shot. Like, <laughs> it's like golf. Yes. You know? It's more like golf than yeah. than like basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good way of putting it. You mentioned before about trying for London. You mentioned about sort of selection criteria. You miss out on Rio. Now, yeah. can you explain what happened there? Because I can imagine as the reigning Commonwealth Games gold medalist, you're, you're in with a pretty good darn shot to go to an Olympic Games two years later. I mean, how, how does that not help you get selected for yeah. the Rio Olympics? Yeah, Um you know what, sport, sport and politics can never be separated. You know, you're always going to have politics within sport. And 
unfortunately, I think I was a little bit of a victim of politics. Um, you know, I kind of didn't really get along very well with our coach at the time who was, you know, he was a Russian coach. I don't think he really liked women shooting. Um, and I kind of used to question him a lot. Um, and I, I, the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was when I made a final at a World Cup in Elaine. And every, like it was my first final there in 2015 that I'd actually made the top six at a World Cup, which in itself is a, a really, it's a great achievement that not everybody gets that. Um, but everybody else's coaches came and sat down onto the range with them to support them and help them if anything went wrong. And mine went and sat in the crowd. Wow. And <laughs> I found out later from some of the New Zealand team who happened to sit behind him that apparently he was on some social media um, app instead of actually watching me shoot. Uh, so I... I remember at another World Cup that year, our high performance manager asked me, um, or he said that Val feels like he should be, or the coach feels like he should be thanked more. And I told him why I didn't think I should be thanking him more. And that kind of, it set up a big thing where we had to go into mediation. And I think I made life a little bit hard for that coach. Um, which is unfortunate when you've got a selection criteria that ultimately says that the selection panel, which he was one of three people on the selection panel, um, has the ultimate say in who gets selected and who doesn't. So it's not even based on purely on performance. Like at the no. end of the day, you could be shooting world records, but if at the end of the day the coach doesn't like you, they, they might not choose you. For that particular um selection criteria that's what they could have done wow that's that's insane yeah. to think that because i i would assume that any given sport you want to send your best at best athletes like if you know ian thorpe's out there the best swimmer in the world and he's breaking world records but he doesn't get along with one of the selection but you, you still want to bloody send ian thorpe well if if they say in their opinion that someone else is a better selection then that's what they could do if you've got a subjective um, criteria like that. Um, this, can you appeal that then? Like if you are you like can. you are genuinely like I am the better shooter here, send me. Like is there a you process? Can. And I did. I did appeal it. That The appeals process in itself was um, kind of traumatic. Uh, my Institute of Sport did help me appeal. There was two of us that actually appealed, myself, for the women's skate spot and um, another young guy for one of the men's trap spots. And we both had our appeals um, kind of rejected uh, at the like Australian kind of appeals level. He was lucky that he had a bit more financial backing and he could afford to take it to the court of arbitration for sport where he actually won his appeal. But even if you win your appeal at um, the court of arbitration for sport, you're the, they can only give a directive and your sporting body can choose to take that directive or ignore that directive. 
Wow. So even though you may spend the whole pile of money on lawyers and winning, winning battles, you know, it can all be for nothing anyway. So a lot of people say don't even bother um, appealing because it doesn't matter if you win and you probably won't win. That's insane. So, so what's that then like? You, you, you're arguably the best shooter in the country at the time. No disrespect to, to the athlete we did send to Rio, but, and you kind of gone through that process. You've lost that appeal. I mean, how are you able to kind of switch focus and go, <laughs> I can go to my third, you know, third attempt in the limit, third time lucky. Cause I can imagine that that yeah. must be so yeah. draining on you. It was, it was, it was terrible. It was probably the, you know, I luckily I had already experienced failure before um, because I think the more you experience failure, the better you get at, at you know, coughing it and moving on. Um, I was really lucky in that I have a really good support network around me. My husband is well, he wasn't my husband at the time, but he was amazing. He got me through that time. Um, and I went and shot something different. I went and shot a discipline called sporting clays, which is it's a really popular version of clay target shooting at the moment, both here in Australia and internationally. And I kind of became a little bit more of a well-rounded shooter because, you know, I'd only shot one, a lot of one style of target. And then I've had to go and shoot something that's so completely different. It's kind of like cross training. You know, I, I went and I, I kind of really expanded my kind of um, knowledge as a shooter, which has definitely helped me. So even though it was incredibly hard to go through, um, it kind of has helped. I, I wouldn't like have to hear. ever yeah, it, sometimes things do end up being for the better. I probably, you know, in Rio maybe wouldn't have been as emotionally or technically prepared as I was for Tokyo. So with all that in mind, all that disappointment, that moment then that you punch your ticket to Tokyo, like I'm, I'm imagining the the qualification process maybe changed or you just got a better coach who liked you better. Uh, but I mean, like, what was that <laughs> feeling like when you knew you were then finally, third time lucky, an Olympian? Uh, it, you know what? It was really weird. Um, we did have a change in selection criteria. So the, the, the kind of first spot in every event was a, um, a spot that was kind of uh, by – by a kind of a th- few things that you had to tick off. You know, you, you had to win the most points. Whoever got the most points went. It wasn't about someone selecting you, um, which that was good. That was good to kind of know what I had to do to win that spot. Um, and we did have a change of coach, which he kind of pay- played a really pivotal role in kind of guiding me technically as well to change something that, I needed to change, but was incredibly difficult to change. So I kind of went out on a limb, changed something really big technically, which was kind of good because it brought back the focus on onto the process instead of the result. Um, but the very last qualifier was back in March 2020. And I don't know if you remember what was happening in March 2020. Yeah, yeah, just slightly. Yeah. Yeah, something called COVID or is that what it yeah, was called? Or, COVID. Yeah, COVID. Heard of it, yeah. COVID. 
COVID kind of went from, you know, I, I shot the you know third qualifier in Melbourne and COVID in February was just like a little bit of a blip on the radar, like it mm. had just started to come into Australia. And then by late March, the COVID situation was getting pretty serious. Um, there was talk of cancelling that last qualifier. And if they'd done that, I was one point behind in qualifying. Damn, so I wow. needed that, I needed that, that qualifier to go ahead. There was talk that maybe they'd move it from where it was in Sydney to being in Melbourne a week later. Uh, but luckily they decided to run with it. They just stripped it back. So only the people that um, were in the running for the Olympics could attend. So took the numbers right down. You know, we had to do all our social distancing stuff and it went ahead. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, I remember I did have a little bit of a, like an emotional breakdown <laughs> in the days leading in because it was just so much to take that I think everybody was in that position and I wasn't watching television because I didn't want to know what was going on in the world. <laughs> um, and like it was crazy. Like I, I had a really great qualifying and I actually didn't even need to shoot the final to win qualifying. Wow. Um, so that was amazing, but it kind of left me in the position like, oh my goodness, like I've, I've made an Olympic team, but you know, is this Olympics going to go ahead? You know, only, only like a few days after qualifying for that team, the Australian team was withdrawn from the they were second behind Canada. I remember it. Yeah. Canada withdrew, Australia withdrew and that the games hadn't even been can uh, postponed at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Like you go through all this huge journey <laughs> to, to make an Olympic team and then you're, Australia is withdrawn from the Olympics. I thought, oh my goodness. Like, it just didn't universe, want to happen. <laughs> the universe Third has time. some <laughs> thick sense of humor here. <laughs> you know, wow. like it was such a roller coaster. And then, you know, I've, Luckily, it wasn't too long after that the the games were postponed to 2021. But then it was a question of whether that that original qualifying would stand, which the IOC took a few days to make their mind up about. Which that was a few kind of scary days, I think, for all those that had already booked their spot. But I I think that you know I'm really grateful that they did decide to honour the original qualifying because um, I think that would just have been so emotionally demoralising for everybody that had already qualified. Which makes it a bit more unique then because we've heard from so many athletes who through that sort of delay had to, yeah, they, they hadn't qualified at that point or they had to add an extra year, whereas I guess once that decision has come down, a slight silver lining while waiting around for an Olympics is, you know, at least you're, I'm going this time. Like yeah. I will get to go to these Olympics whenever they bloody hold them. Yeah, it was, it was a real like unique kind of an experience, you know, knowing for over a year that you're going to go to, to a games. I think it was, it was really good in some ways, kind of not good in others. Cause like I came back from that, that, 
quali last qualifying event in Sydney. I only just got back into Perth. So I came back on sun on a Sunday. That Tuesday, WA closed their border to the rest of the pretty much the whole world, including the rest of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we went into a 10-week pretty hard lockdown here in WA. Uh, so I actually didn't even get to shoot for like three months after wow. after firing that last shot. So to you can't be just do it in your backyard. Free. You can't just say to the neighbours, "Hey guys, just just don't mind me firing a gun a few times a day." <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the neighbours would not have appreciated that <laughs> at all. I think I probably would have had the SWAT team around yeah. my house to. I'm training for the Olympics. Me. I'm training for the Olympics. <laughs> That's what they all say. Come with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was I. It was really weird to not train for three months because you know, through my whole career, I had only taken about two weeks off wow. at the very most. So to actually not be able to train for three months—that was crazy. Like I had to almost relearn how to shoot again. Um, which like that always comes with a bit of silver lining because you can kind of rewrite some um, bad habits. You know, you kind of wipes that muscle memory clean a little bit. Um, so it meant it was a little bit easier for me to rewrite my patterns how I wanted them. So it was kind of good. It's kind of like starting from the very beginning again, which that's like, when you've been working so long on something technically to get it right, that can be a bit frustrating as well. So then when you get to Tokyo, when you are there at the range, you are there for that competition after everything that you have gone through to get to that point, what's that moment like then just before you're about to fire your, your first shot? I mean, do you soak it in? Is it just another day at the office? I mean, kind of what's going oh, through the head? Absolutely. Of course you, you, you are soaking it in. Um, it, it was, you know, there was a few moments there at the Olympics that were really amazing and kind of like pinch me because I like, am I dreaming? Um, but yeah, it was it was a little bit emotional to to kind of finally make it. Um, but I remember my uh, my first station. Like I'm always on your first station. You you're quite nervous. I probably wasn't as nervous though as I thought I was going to be you know, shooting the biggest competition of your life, like I thought I was going to be like really, really petrified. But um, I actually kind of held it together. I got a little bit rattled because I called for a target or something happened. I can't remember what it was. Like uh, a target came out before I'd even called and I had to kind of reset and the shell popped out of my gun and I was like, what's happening? Um, so it was a little bit of a weird start. But um, uh, after, and I missed the target after, kind of, I let it kind of rattle me a little bit. But after that, kind of settled in and, you know, shot my first round pretty well. But it was like, it was an intense, really, really intense round, you know. Did you set yourself a, a target? Oh, there we go again. A uh, to Yeah. <laughs> like, was it like... I can medal like Commonwealth Games. You see a psychic beforehand, all this telling yourself every day, or was it just a case of I've made it to the Olympics, or whatever happens, happens? Um, it was kind of a little bit like I've I've made it to the games. Whatever happens, happens. Sometimes by setting yourself a goal to 
do something like I would have loved to have made that final love to have made a medal that was that would kind of was was a goal but I didn't really want to kind of grab a hold of that too tight sometimes when you do that you can kind of make it harder to to get to if that makes sense so like I, I did want to but yeah I was trying to just focus on delivering my best performance whatever that was on the day and wherever that got me because you know you can't control how other people shoot you know and you're you're kind of being compared against other people's performances and there's nothing you can do to change someone else's performance all you can do is focus on what your process and you know doing the best you can and that's that's what I did are you tempted though? Like, are you tempted to just whisper something to a shooter as they're about to go up? Like, you're gonna miss, you're gonna miss, you're gonna miss. Like, are you allowed to do that if you want to do it? Absolutely not. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> miss it, miss it, miss it, miss it. Oh, you're disqualified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you would if you did that. You would literally get red carded. Ah. Oh, so it's kind of damn. similar to soccer. You get the referees can give you yellow cards, and you know if you two yellow cards and you get a red card and you're you're done what do you get so, a yellow card for in shooting is it simply sledging or is it that positioning on the the body you were saying because I, I don't see shooting as a sport you should get a card you're, you're right you so there's a few things you can get a card for there's quite a few things there's lots of rules um but one of those things is that position on your body so if your gun's not all the way down to your line you can get a you get a card you get a yellow card you do that twice and you know you you get a a red card or a lost target. Wow. Um, and the same with we have time limits. So if you go over your time limit, um, if you purposely try to distract somebody, again that's that's a card. See that's that's an to me bugger the music. Like this is where <laughs> we want this happening. Like if you've ever seen basketball, when the whole part of that is to kind of like put them off their game. Like I want to see this. I just want to see like the most creative way to put you off your target. Like yeah. I think that would be unique. Like literally have like an athlete like run in front of. Oh, you're gonna miss it. Look, don't shoot me. And then just keep running. Like just throw things at people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like that. That would there, there's the IOC's modeling to keep shooting in the Olympics yeah. I mean, it's exciting already but people would go off for that <laughs> oh dear it'd be, it'd be interesting I don't Which... know about throwing things at people that have gone through like yes yeah. might cause a few injuries potentially with that one but I mean you ultimately finish 25th um which again, like in Olympic Games, you know, you're in, you're in, you're an Olympic event. Uh, you, you witness a world record uh, <laughs> during your event as well. I mean, do you do you leave Tokyo sort of satisfied with with your performance, or does it spur you on to go? Okay, I didn't maybe do what I wanted to do on to Paris, and I can take the next level there. I was definitely not satisfied with my performance in Tokyo. There was, you know, the on the first day. I probably missed three silly targets that I shouldn't have just like, just silly, like just made, made a, a few mental errors tightened up a little bit. Um, and on the second day, like my first round was good, but my second round, I just kind of had a bit of a meltdown really. Um, so yeah, I 
definitely want to come back, have another crack at uh, Paris with a bit of Olympic experience already in my bag. Which, given less than a year away from a Commonwealth Games, kind of that unique cycle that we had. Obviously, you went to the Gold Coast as well, but do you then go and look at Birmingham and go, well, the last time I was on the British Isles, I came away with a gold medal. So, I mean, you know, this is kind of maybe it's maybe I can't compete in Australia. That's not what it's the British Isles. That's where I go for and uh, look towards bringing back that gold. The thing is... Shooting has been removed from It has. Oh, I knew this. I knew this. We talked about this recently. I yeah. did know this. Look at me remembering who I've interviewed yeah. on the show and we've talked about it. Um, yeah. Gosh. Which is a shame. That was, it was quite a big fuss made out of it. And um, India even threatened to boycott the, the Commonwealth Games because of the removal of shooting. You know, they get so many of their medals from, from shooting. Yeah. Um, and I, we had Sergey on and talked about, and, and he sort of mentioned about how, um, I mean, I said like, if you don't piss off shooters, like if all the sports <laughs> you want to remove, remove equestrian, I know it's not a common sport, but I mean, what are the horses going to do dance at your office? Like you're freaking shooters. You have guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. You know, like there hasn't been many Commonwealth games without shooting in the program. So that was a yeah. big kind of surprise to everyone, especially like, Birmingham, like, mm. you know, there's a, a really, um, really great shooters coming out of England. So for them to not have a home Commonwealth Games is a bit of a shame. And, you know, there was kind of a bit of an opportunity for um, for them to showcase Birmingham in a way because there's, there's actually um, gun factories in Birmingham. Wow. Um, but the problem was they didn't have a shooting range in Birmingham, um, which would have been really, really expensive and hard to find a location because you need quite a, a parcel of land. So the alternative is to run it on an existing range. But they, Birmingham wanted to keep everything within their program within Birmingham. So that's why they didn't choose to keep it in the program, which is a shame. And we were meant to get a Commonwealth Federation shooting championships in um, in India, uh, but unfortunately, because of COVID, they have been cancelled. They were meant to be in in January, and there was kind of all these rumours about um, whether those medals would be actually included into mm. the Commonwealth medal tally because that's that's what India wanted. It's, it's, I mean, one thing I love learning on this show, you're talking about the politics of sport and just these events as well. And obviously all these multi-sport events are kind of, you know, getting stacked and they want to bring more, but then you've got to kind of sacrifice that. And it's, it's fascinating. And I guess kind of like the thing, the unique thing with Birmingham too is they weren't the hosts of the games. They were not chosen. They were kind of the replacement right. game. So yeah. you wonder if Durban had gone ahead, uh, you know, that would have gone there. But the silver lining I see is that at least at the time of recording this, there's no 2026 host yet. And there's rumours going around that Sydney and New South Wales are going to put in a sneaky last-minute bid. So I, I can't yeah. see Australia going, no, we're not going to have shooting at the, the Commonwealth Games. So, look, 2026, Sydney, if there's a, a yeah. Sydney Commonwealth Games. That would be cool. Like we already have some pretty good shooting facilities there in Sydney. Yeah. So. I've heard there's a few. So that's uh, yeah. <laughs> might be sneaking there. But also, like, does it, I mean, shooting – I, I can imagine there's a bit of longevity involved. I mean, we were talking about Michael Diamond before, obviously. Like, 
is it something that realistically you look to 2032 home Olympics, you know, in, in Brisbane and kind of set itself a, a goal that potentially that could be a case? You know, absolutely that's possible. You know, um, the, the men's skate Olympic bronze medalist um, from uh, Kuwait, Al-Rashidi, he's like late 50s, early 60s. Wow. So if You're he's, a spring chicken. You'll be 45. Yeah, Easy. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm only a baby. So yeah. who knows? Jesus, you know. I'm looking to do the 2040 Olympics, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, start now. <laughs> yeah. God, keep going. That That's that's incredible. But, I mean, it, it is kind of a unique thing that we're finding with a lot of our, obviously, Australian guests is that, yeah, like a home Olympics, that's better. And we saw that with Sydney, that a bunch of athletes extended their careers a little bit because they had a prospect yeah. of a home Olympics. And now it's, I mean, we've had, you know, Matt and Denny on this show saying that, oh, that's my fifth Olympics. I'm setting myself easy. Like, you know, that's a few more to go. So um, yeah. it's kind of that unique thing to really kind of spur you on to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be a really cool experience. I've already, you know, we've already experienced the home Commonwealth Games there. So yeah. the experience a home Olympics would be really special. Now, I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but is that, are they having the shooting at the same venue as they had at, at the Gold Coast for Brisbane? I don't know the answer to that. Um, there has been kind of rumours about how that gun club will be changing because the range that that, um, that the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games was held on um, actually hasn't been shot on ever since. Really? It, wow. It was built on kind of a another association's grounds and there's kind of been a whole pile of infighting about who should have the grounds and all that kind of thing, you know, sport and politics. Yeah. Can never be separated. Um, so who knows? I think uh, to hold an Olympics at those grounds in Brisbane that are existing, um, they'd probably need to sort out that dispute. If they want to use the existing grounds that was used for the, the, um, the Commonwealth Games or remodel the club that they already have there because it's, it's funny there's there's the existing Brisbane gun club um, which overlooks the hill you can you kind of look towards the Commonwealth Games range which is on a double S double A range um, whereas the Olympic shotgun codes are, are kind of the rights are owned by the Australian Clay Target Association. Wow. Um, so, yeah. There's a lot lot of layer. Like I, one thing I think too that I learned the most in this show is that we don't need to create fictionalised political shows. There's just like Netflix shows we could have on the politics of all these federations, I feel. Like where's yeah. the house of cards on shooting, the shooting yeah. politics, you know? <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's pretty exciting to me. Yeah. And, again, you guys have guns, so I wouldn't be pissing these <laughs> people off in higher yeah. places. Now, There's Laura, before we... Before we close it off with a series of sort of fun questions we like to do, one thing I want to learn a little bit more about, I believe you have a bit of a, a tradition before the night, before a competition, that you like to eat a certain food. Is is, is this true and, and, and what is it and where did this tradition come from? I or like, yes, it is. I'm probably not as like kind of obsessive compulsive about it as I used to be, but always before a competition, I would like, I, I really enjoy like pan fried salmon and that is what I would always eat 
um, before a competition. I've kind of learned to not be too like pedantic about that because, you know, you go to Australia and we do a great job of cooking seafood. You go to other areas of the world and sometimes that is not such a great option. <laughs> yeah, like if you're in the middle of, I don't know, Russia where there's maybe not an ocean yeah. nearby. I've had, I've had some bad examples like out of Azerbaijan. That's right. kind of, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, the further Very away from an ocean you question the, the safeness of a piece of seafood, right? Yeah, that's like, right. And, and how did it how did it start? Was it just a case of you you ate it one night, you did well the next day, or this is a pretty good tradition? I'm going yeah, to keep up that's with it. The Psychic thing. told you, or no? Like I'm I'm an introvert, and I watch for patterns, even though they might not be real. Like <laughs> I, I make it real, <laughs> so that's, no, that's how it's come that's out. how things start like that. Because yeah. yeah, I I mean my athletic career clearly taken off, hence why I'm multiple, you know, whatever. But like I remember when I played hockey, I was a goalie and. To me, like I did the whole banging of the posts, you know, kind of superstition. And I think one time it worked. So that was to me every single time. I would yep. bang it in a certain order before every game. Like th- I had to do it. Um, you know what? Fits. There's so many athletes that have routines out there like that. Yeah. yeah. There was a, there was a, I'm a big Formula One fan and there was a Formula One driver, Alex Verts, who used to wear uh, different colored shoes. So he had a red and a blue boot. And I liked that so much that I went to school wearing different colored shoes. I would wear two <laughs> different shoes and like, People were just like, why the fuck are you wearing two different <laughs> shoes? And I explain it every single time. So, yeah, I don't do that anymore, just by the way. Uh, now, Laura, we wrap up with a series of fun questions. Now, these are based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. We always like to try and select an athlete from the same sport. Uh, unfortunately, as when we've had shooters on before, we've said Canada never questioned a shooter, and if they did, they never published it. So I've gone with an archer because, again, archery targets similar. Uh, Crispin Duanis, the Canadian, the great Canadian archer who competed in Rio. Don't know how he we went. Sure, he did well. So we're going to start off with your favourite ever Olympic moment is? Ooh, probably my my favourite ever Olympic moment probably was Michael Diamond's medal from, from 2000. Like it being so emotional and but other than that probably from the last games my favorite olympic moment was the women's relay swimming gold yes i think that was the best like they swam out of their skin to get that gold you know it was it was amazing to watch Great answer. I like it. Have you had a chance to to meet Michael, shoot with Michael, kind of yeah, in sort of the shooting yeah. community, sort of close-knit? Or? I, I was actually teammates with Michael back for the uh, Glasgow Commonwealth Oh, of game. course. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Must be pretty like, is it you get a bit starstruck the first time you're there and then all of a sudden you realise you're like teammates with this guy you were watching growing up? Absolutely. I remember first kind of going into the um, international kind of version of of clay target shooting and you know meeting russell mark and michael diamond and like these people were like people that i saw on television and i'm shooting in the same squads as some of these people that you see on television and it was like oh my goodness like it took me a little while to get over um kind of being starstruck by these people but when you actually get to know them they're actually really great normal people 
And what's it then like when you, you can then say on the flip side of that that you're shooting with someone like a, a Catherine Skinner who you're kind of teammates and you're going along with and then she comes back from Rio with a bloody gold medal around her neck. Like, hey, I that's, my, that's my bestie, Olympic yeah, gold medalist. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> it, it's It's crazy. And do you, do you just want to wear a medal all the time? Like, you know, just <laughs> give us your medal, Catherine. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. You get, I, you get asked it. that question, like, why aren't you wearing a medal? <laughs> yeah. I remember we, we, we had Catherine on after Rio and I think uh, that was, I think maybe she was the birth of our question where I asked, like, do you get free shit with your medal? And I think she was talking about trying to, whether she did try or she was going to try getting some McDonald's or something. I can't remember specifically what it was. Oh, but, I think uh, it was Ben and Jerry's. It was it Ben and, and Jerry? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. I do believe she got some free Ben and Jerry's. Good. Like, yes. That was the secret. That's, you know, like me eating my salmon. Ben and Jerry's was was Catherine's secret to a, a blistering performance that clearly works for her. I mean, clearly. I mean, this is this is what I like hearing about all these kind of like quirks and things that work. Like you go to a psychic, they say you're going to win a Commonwealth Games medal. <laughs> it works. Catherine eats Ben and Jerry's all the time and boom, she wins a gold medal. So like, I mean, like there you go. See psychics, eat ice cream. That's the, yep. the secret to, a, to Olympic and Commonwealth Games success. So Absolutely. <laughs> just saying for everybody out there as they're trying to be an athlete. Um, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Ooh. Mm. You know, I like the idea of Athens because it's back to the original. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah that would be that would have been really cool to go and experience that. The few athletes we've had from Athens have said it was sort of yeah, a very unique experience to kind of have that. So, yeah, kind of the traditional, the home of the Olympics. Yeah. In your spare time, what do you most like to do? Oh, I love to spend time with my little dogs. I've got two little French bulldogs. I like to take them for walks and, you know, cuddle them and play with them. I love spending time with my dogs. Can, can you take them to the range or are they a bit skittish about guns? No, because they've been there since they were puppies. Right. They actually do come to the range with me sometimes, as long as it's not too hot because they get um, sensitive to heat. And one of mine is like anaphylactic allergic to bees. Oh. So I can't take him in spring. Um, right. <laughs> but he can come out at other times and they, they love coming out to the gun club. It's fun. They get other people pat them. The, the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was? Maybe when they weren't sitting in the stands on Facebook, uh, basically. Hmm. Um, probably the, the weirdest instruction is don't hop like frog, smooth like panther. <laughs> okay. Um, does that help in shooting? Or? <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> like, Good to know. Uh, as long as it's helpful, right? Like they can tell you whatever. Um, there you go. I, I, I like it. Uh, your favourite workout is? Oh, I, I actually really like yoga. Nice. That's a good the one. mind, I can imagine, in shooting, yeah. like kind of mental strength. Yeah, mental, breathing, all that kind of thing. That's good for shooting. How how much are you in the gym as a shooter? Like, I mean, I can sit here as an armchair quarterback and think, ah, you don't need the gym, you just shoot a gun. But I, there's obviously a physical aspect to it. So what are, what are you doing in the gym when you go to train? So shooters never used to do gym stuff. Um, now the, the bar is raising with shooting and to get kind of those extra little bits out, we do need to be strong. We do need to, um, be reasonably fit because, you know, you, you, sometimes it's a long day and, you know, if you're starting to get a bit raggedy by the end of the day, you're not going to be giving your best performance and you can't afford to be losing silly targets because you're getting a little bit fatigued. 
Um, and it helps, you know, it, if you're staying fresh for longer, the better you can concentrate as well. So um, in the lead up to Tokyo, um, I actually did, we were doing a lot of heat training. So I was spending um, two, two days a week in a heat chamber wow. um, <laughs> on a bike. So I was doing a whole pile of aerobic exercise which that's, that is helpful. I actually feel though that you get more benefit from resistance exercise for shooting. The stronger you are, you know, you get just that little bit more power out of your, your muscles. You might get a little bit of a, a better, quicker mount. You know, the recoil isn't taking you off the line of the target as much. Um, and you can make kind of fine adjustments a little bit better and a little bit more accurately the stronger you are. I always, I love like hearing from, from athletes where like, yeah, stereotypically you don't think like we've had a lot of curlers on the show and it's kind of like, ah, curling, you don't need, but like some of the stuff they're doing in gyms, like it just, it's put some of these other athletes to shame. So yeah, yeah I like, I like hearing that. Uh, if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Ooh, you know who would be interesting? I reckon Donald Trump. Oh yeah. I reckon yeah. he would be. One of the most interesting people to have lunch with. It's it's one of those things where, like, you know, you, you you get the the Obamas and all this kind of stuff, like, you know, these people that are generally loved. But, like, it's, sometimes it would be interesting to have a pers- uh, chat. Like, I remember I, I'd ask that question once, like, the three people you would go to dinner with. And I, I literally said Hitler. And, like, that's not because I admire the man, but, like, imagine yeah. talking to Hitler. Like, yeah. just, it would be interesting. You'd be sitting yeah. there going, fuck, mate, you're Absolutely. an idiot. But, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just ask why. <laughs> exactly. You <laughs> sit it down at dinner table. Hitler, how you doing? Good to meet you. Just one question. Why? <laughs> why? That's all I'm going to ask you. That, that's it. That's it. Donald, please meet you. One question. Why? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but interesting dinner, com- lunch conversation. Like, yeah. yeah, I like that. Your favourite sandwich is? Oh, um, I really like... Chicken, cheese, avocado, and tomato relish. Nice. Very specific. I like it. Toasted, non-toasted? Toasted. Or toasted. toasted. And bread, sourdough, white, brown, multigrain? Uh, like. Multigrain. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Sorry. Just, I like to get hungry. I'm thinking about <laughs> lunch ideas right now. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? You know what? Ever since I was a little kid, always wanted to be able to fly. Yes. It's really cool. Come in handy. And with the gun, like, you know, you could do <laughs> and, you know, like just doing that way. Uh, the best candy in the world is? Oh, best candy? I reckon you can't go past an M&M, mm-hmm. I reckon. Good answer. Just a standard? You like the crispy, the uh, the peanut? Doesn't matter. I like them all. Like them all. Yep, awesome. Yeah. As a kid, your favourite sports team was? Oh, the West Coast Eagles. Oh, no hesitation. I was going to say, being from Western Australia, Eagles or Dockers, but uh, yeah. I guess growing up, you, you. Uh, the reason I, I know your age, everything, you were, I think, looking at your birthday, born about a month after I was. So you came into existence the same year the Eagles came into the AFL. So yeah, you're, you're as you, you were born when the Eagles were born, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. at the, the time of recording this, it's AFL Grand Final week. How exciting is it to have the Grand mm-hmm. Final in Perth right now? You know, it's crazy. There is definitely a buzz around town. Great. Uh, for, for the grand final, yeah. 
It's a beautiful stadium. I, I did a tour of it when I came to Perth, and it's a, it's a impressive venue. Um, speaking of just sports in general, your favourite sports movie is? Well, Cool Runnings. Yes. Great answer. Love hearing that one as well. And it's kind of one of these ones I always talk about, you know, movies related to the sport. And, and I mean, shooting's just one of these ones where shooting's in every movie, basically, isn't it? So, you know, it's. Is there, I don't know if there's a specific shooting movie about the oh. sport of shooting, though. No, I don't think there is a movie about somebody in clay target shooting. There's little appearances mm. of clay target shooting in movies, but, yeah. I always relate it back to James Bond as a Bond fan, and one of our sister shows is a James Bond podcast, but I know in Moonraker they had the pigeons, which is kind of like the clay, and yep. Bond famously shoots the the guy out of the tree rather than hitting the pigeon. So <laughs> you just think about Bond sometimes. Um, If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? You know what? I still would pick Perth. I do, nice. I do love Perth. It's it's beautiful. It's quiet. The only bad thing about it is it's so isolated, which it's kind of been good with COVID, though. Yes, yes. Well, as a Tasmanian in Tasmania, like it's kind of maybe the one positive I can say about being in Tasmania right now is, hey, uh, we can live normally, sort of. Yep. Just can't yep. leave the island, basically. That's um right. I, I love this one. When you were little, what was one thing you always thought? Oh, when I was little, oh, I always thought I wanted to be a fireman. No, <laughs> there's still time. No, you're still young. You can still do or it a after hairdresser. your career. I, that's, hey. yeah. You talk, talked about modern pentathlon before. Tick off all the things. Olympic shooter, yeah. firefighter, hairdresser. You know, two more and you can do the, the career modern pentathlon. Yeah. So those ones, that works. Now, again, the final one here, this is always one which you've always got one ready to go or you maybe struggle to get with, but what is your favourite joke to tell? Oh. You're allowed to answer the Fremantle Dockers as a West Coast. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't tell too many jokes, but my husband always tells this one, okay. which is... What's black, red, and screams? I don't know. What is black, red, and screams? Stevie Wonder answering the iron. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's uh, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. I mentioned Hitler before. We can end on a joke like that. It's fine. Just just ticking it off the list. I like it. Um, I, I feel like I, I always give this opportunity now for, for you to give a social media plug, but also I feel plug your husband. If these are the type of jokes he's going to maybe put out on social media, people want to follow this. But uh, if people want to follow you, Laura, where, where can they check you out on, on social media? Okay, so on Instagram, um, you can follow me on uh, uh, at Miss Laura Coles. Or if you want to check out my husband, <laughs> the real Nico one. <laughs> the real Nico one. Wow. Yeah, the real Nico one. Yeah, I keep following the fake one. So I, <laughs> oh, um, no. He probably yeah. doesn't have as good a jokes as the real Nico. Yeah, well, exactly, in jokes like that. Laura, it's been an absolute pleasure learning uh, about your story and everything else in between, just incredible sort of hearing about all that journey it was to get to Tokyo. But we, we look forward to seeing you in, in Paris at the 2026 Sydney Commonwealth Games when shooting comes back and all the way right up to the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. When by then you're going to be a, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, so you'll be on on home soil going for, for a three-peat. So uh, we appreciate it, Laura. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much, Ben.
And a massive thanks to Laura there. So insightful. And who would have ever thought that in an interview with an Olympic shooter, we could mention both Donald Trump and Hitler. There you go. Tick it off the bucket list if you're playing off the podium bingo at home. Uh, in the meantime, while you're ticking it off the bucket list, stay up to date with the show. Follow us on all the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, search for Off The Podium. Like us or follow us, whichever one is the one that you're following us on. That makes sense in your head, Ben. Also, subscribe to the show on all good podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're on it. Search for us, hit the subscribe button, leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And as always, shoot us a message. How do you how do you think the show's going? Who would you have lunch with? We want to know. And is there anybody you want us to track down or get on the show or kind of just a style of episode you'd like us to maybe cover? So uh, we're always open to ideas and we always love hearing from you, the listeners at home. Big thanks again to Laura once again for her time. Big thanks again for you for listening. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And as always, go a left. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so.